Welcome back. If you forgot about us, that's okay. We kind of did too. Uh, we didn't necessarily put out a whole lot of off-season content. Honestly, it's because we've been pretty busy. Uh, I think all of our lives have changed a pretty damn good amount since we were recording this last year, along with the ND football program, which we'll get to later. This is our season preview podcast going through you know everything that happened in the off-season, the schedule, the roster. We'll hit it all, so don't worry. Uh, so why don't we go around just quickly, because I know people don't want to hear us talk about ourselves too much. Just give a quick life update of what's been going on the last year, if we've moved, it's all that stuff. Bold. you? <laughs> all right, yeah. Uh, happy to be back. Uh, still in, still living and working in Boston. Uh, exciting. Looking forward to be, making it out to South Bend for some games this year for a change instead of having to watch them all on TV. Uh, so that'll be exciting. Looking for looking at Cincinnati, U, uh, USC, and UNC. I am out of the parents' house, um, even though we technically have not graduated college yet. Uh, Memorial Day, twenty twenty two. Looking forward to it. Uh, and I am living with two fellas, one of which also is a twenty three year old male with a podcast. So I have updated my equipment. The Wi Fi might be worse. So me and D, we might be switching that situation, but uh, I think it'll it'll work just fine. Um, I am a young professional as well, for better or worse, but think that is just more so made me excited for sat- fall Saturdays. Yeah, and then me, I also moved out of my parents' basement, which is where I recorded all of last season's podcasts. I uh, moved out to New York City, also switched jobs, working a little more now, but obviously still prioritizing the podcast over everything. Uh, last year, recording was kind of a hassle because my Wi-Fi would always cut out from being in the basement. But this year, you know, I have Wi-Fi in my room, so it's pretty nice. Uh, hopefully the audio is a little cleaner this year. But enough about us. Let's talk Irish football. Honestly, I'd say overall this offseason, one of the least dramatic in recent memory, maybe at for, overall with the NCAA. For Notre Dame football. For Notre Dame football. Yeah, specifically. Other than that. For Notre Dame football specifically, but nationally the NIL, we'll get into that a little. But I think the biggest news might have been, you know, we got a quarterback, but it's, you know, it wasn't exciting. We're not landing a five-star Justin Fields type. It's Jack Cohen out of Wisconsin. You know, what are our initial thoughts on the addition there? So when, we, when this happened initially, I think I texted you guys that I was not – Blown away, uh, it seemed pretty unexciting. That you guys were you guys were initially a lot higher than I thought, and I've recently recently come around uh, a lot 
more so watching kind of what he did at Wisconsin and knowing that what we will be putting out for him to throw to and work with on the offensive end at the skill player positions is going to be a lot better than what Wisconsin was helping him out with. So I do think he's very, very capable uh, and recently have been more optimistic. And I think you guys have kind of talked me towards that. Yeah, I think from the jump, I, I was re- I was super excited because uh, Jack Cohn's a Long, uh, Long Island guy. Um, who's he's only a year younger than we are, so I got to watch him play a bunch of high school football here, uh, and uh, and set a bunch of Long Island records. So I was always really high on him. I know he was originally committed to play lacrosse to Notre Dame, uh, so to get him back to Notre Dame to to be uh, to be wearing a football uniform for for his grad year was pretty exciting for me. Uh, I was pretty high on him just because I think that he he kind of fits uh, he kind of fits fits the mold of what maybe I had as as previous successful Notre Dame quarterbacks. I think he he doesn't. He's not the same player, but he doesn't. His skill set is not all that different from a Jimmy Clausen, um, who you know who's a who's a fan favorite for a while. I'm really, I'm really really excited to have him, uh, and I think that, like Ian said, when you when you surround him with a little bit more talent and there's a little bit more excitement in in the wide receiver group than there maybe has been in past years, um, I think that 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 also contributes uh, to to that. Yeah, I'd say more than anything, Jack Cohn raised the floor of this team may not have necessarily been the guy, you know, like a Fields transfer or Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma where he's good enough to lead you to the playoff and actually lead you to the playoff. Notre Dame would make the, will make the playoff the guys around him are leading, not because Jack Cohen is balling out. Um, but I, I, think, I think I actually misspoke saying that was the biggest addition of the offseason. I think the one that has Notre Dame fans by far more excited for the future is the addition of Marcus Freeman out of Cincinnati. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that one is is massive. Um, and pretty much right away he made his impact felt with recruiting. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just kept seeing us get guys and thinking to myself, that's the Marcus Freeman effect that I don't know if we would have gotten if he went anywhere else. When I say went anywhere else, he had his choice of jobs, um, and he chose South Bend, I think for a variety of reasons. One, we could debate um, – about a Brian Kelly comment a couple of weeks ago, I think that has fizzled out. But uh, for the at least for the foreseeable future, one or two years, we do have Marcus Freeman, and that I think raced the floor of this team a lot more than Jack Cohn did. Yeah, I think that for, for the way I kind of look at it is, I don't I, I don't mean to be dramatic here, but like D said, I think Jack Cohn raises the floor this season. I think that Marcus Freeman kind of. Uh, Kind of changes the program a little bit uh, for for the for the next few years. Uh, his addition was felt like Ian said immediately with recruiting. Uh, you start landing some big names on defensive side of the ball, um, and I know you kind of listen to some of the press conferences that he did and and the way that he kind of spoke to Notre Dame, even only having been there for two or three months. Uh, it was really really reassuring to see as as a Notre Dame football fan. And I think one thing that I've also seen that's really cool is. Uh, and you, I've also heard him talk about this in press conferences is that he kind of gets to know everybody on the team. Um, that's just kind of his coaching style, whether you play offense or defense or your special teams. Uh, there's always videos of him going and dapping up everybody in, in the stretching lines, like checking in on kids, checking how school has family has life. So when, when coaches are willing to make that extra connection with, with their players on both sides of the ball, not only their defensive players, I think it goes a long way in building team chemistry and, and get the players to trust the coaches and what they're trying to do. So I'm really excited to have them. Uh, like you said, that's that's a, it's a pretty monumental addition uh, this this offseason. Yeah, I mean, he just has a swagger about him that really hasn't been at Notre Dame in a while. You know, Clark Lee, great coach. I think we all 
love what he brought to the table last year. He's a great DC. I hope he does really well at Vanderbilt, but you know, Clark, Clark Lee wasn't the most energetic guy in the room. He wasn't the best recruiter either. We saw that, you know, take a step up immediately after Freeman joined. And one of the biggest quotes that stuck out to me about Freeman is, you know, he's changing the recruiting philosophy as a whole, which we know needs to happen for us to compete with, you know, the top three, which is Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. And that is, you know, we can't just look for Notre Dame kids and bring them to Notre Dame, which means, you know, going to Midwest Catholic schools and trying to fill your whole roster from there. It's not the 1970s, 1980s. You just won't get enough talent that way. It's, you know, scouring the whole country, you know, setting down a huge net and then finding which kids are Notre Dame. I think you're going to catch a lot more fish that way. And he's caught some big fish already. He also immediately turned Dell Alexander magically into a better recruiter. Yeah, yeah, uh, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. So maybe it's just a whole thing. I mean, it's all positive with Marcus Freeman right now. Yep, and you know he had great defenses at Cincinnati. His first year, he was actually pretty terrible, but maybe that was just the dudes on the roster, just what was left over from Tommy Tuberville being there. But after that, you know, he turned them into one of the top defenses in the country. We'll get into it later, but ton of talent on that side of the ball. Super excited. Just like really quickly, just a couple of the other additions. Got the grad transfer nicknamed Dump Truck, Cade Madden. He's the only other tr- real transfer that we got. Uh, obviously, having a guy who's an All-American, maybe kind of overhyped from playing in the Conference USA a bit, but still a guy who's able to come in and start at a school like Notre Dame is pretty significant. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is that he brings experience with him. Um, he's Whether it be a Conference USA or, or wherever else he may have played, obviously he was at Marshall, but uh, just having having played that many snaps and, and played that many games uh, at the Division One level uh, is is pretty important, and so I, I'm very happy that to to kind of have him uh, kind of have him as part of the unit. Uh, I think we'll get to it in a little bit. That unit has some work to do, just given that they lost you know four NFL draft picks. Uh, but I think I think they'll be well on their way, bringing in a, a, some experience like that in Kane Med. I'll kind of always defer to Slev when it, we talk about the big guys up front. But am I wrong in thinking that he was named to a preseason? All-American team? He was. AP. AP All-American. Yeah. He was AP. Um, so I'm not going back and watching Kane Madden film all that much, but some people are, and if they're excited about him, I'll take it. Yeah, definitely another one of those additions that raises the floor for this team. Um, so really quickly before we get kind of into the nitty-gritty, let's think back to last year a little bit. Obviously, great year for Notre Dame football, not the best year, and we all know how it ended in – uh, Dallas, Texas, but overall, I'd say they exceeded expectations. Ian Book all ended the season as the all-time winning quarterback in Notre Dame history. Bunch of dudes played their way in the great NFL draft positions. You know, talk about Wu, who should have gone higher, just the BS heart condition. Now he's a steal in the second round. Tommy Tremble somehow became like the third tight end off the board. Ade and Dalen completed the 2016 D-end class where there's five people in it. All five, as of about a few hours ago, are on the 53-man rosters as of today, which is just an incredible stat. Shout out, Jameer Jones. But overall, overall, what would you guys say were the highs and lows of last year and like kind of what you're looking forward to for this year because of that? I mean, high obviously was Clemson for a lot of reasons. But like my two highs from last year were we can hang with some programs. And, like, yeah, okay, yeah, we lost to Clemson in the AC Championship, and we got worked by Alabama. Everybody got worked by Alabama. That was maybe the best college football team of all, team of all time. And we also 
other than maybe Louisville when it was crazy windy, like we weren't really in positions to lose games we shouldn't lose. And that's just an overall shift in Brian Kelly in the last three, two, three years that I've seen, which makes me excited about this year, that we, I don't think we'll be losing crap games that we shouldn't lose. I, I'd say that uh, my high, like like you mentioned, Ian, was Clemson. It was uh, that was really nice for at least the three of us and the rest of our, you know, the rest of our friends to be together to celebrate something like that. Um, you know, I think we all we all needed that in a big way, and the program needed that. Um, so that was that was really really cool. I'd say the other high definitely was if I could pick a specific play um, that the touchdown that Kyron Williams scored on the goal line uh, against North Carolina. Uh, when they, you know, when they ran ran the play for plants, uh, I thought that was a really nice, uh, a really really nice gesture by by Tommy Reese, and, and that was definitely put, yeah, gave it the warm and fuzzies. I'd say if I have two lows though, uh, my one low, uh, my one low is a specific play. I, I don't want to dwell too much on Alabama and Clemson, but uh, Nick McLeod getting hurdled by Najee Oof. Harrison. It's not really fair to single him out because nobody really makes that play, but. That was that was certainly a low point. Um, and then my other low point was, uh, I don't know how, if anybody else was here, but um, the Georgia Tech game, uh, Notre Dame not putting the ball in the end zone to cover. Oh, and I know at the one. And I know one. And maybe I don't know this for sure, but I've heard that Tommy Reese often knows the number. Okay. So for us not to put the ball in the end zone, uh, and we tried, and we tried, we tried. And we tried. Yeah. So so not put the ball in the end zone uh on the one as a as somebody who uh who likes to take Notre Dame against the spread that one kind of hurt but other than that hey that that's not too bad uh for some lows I thought there was a lot lot to lot to be happy about last season and I think I think it really another step forward for the program as a whole I say to like add on to Slev's low there with the uh Nick McLeod getting hurdled like that carried it the NFL draft was hard to watch yeah very hard to watch that play was Everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Everywhere. And the background at the fourth play was, you could knock away with it. Nick McLeod, I mean, he had a pick against the Bears in the preseason. Like, he could have a good NFL career, but he had a rough couple draft nights. Yeah. That's would say my high. I mean, you guys hit on the main ones. I'll go with more of a thematic high was that Notre Dame physically in the trenches is – up there with anyone. It's not Alabama in 2012 where Notre Dame can go undefeated, but then just look like, you know, a Mac team compared to Alabama. Like Alabama makes a lot of programs who are pretty damn solid look like Mac teams in the trenches. They didn't make us look like a Mac team in the trenches. We were able to run the ball. They weren't absolutely destroying us rushing the passer. Like, you know, we were able to get after them a little bit. I know they had some studs on their O-line too, but it just wasn't a complete mismatch where, you know, Eddie Lacy is just, you know, prancing into the end zone whenever he wants. Uh, and, you know, we did that against Clemson. We did that against just about every other team in the schedule. You think about the number of game-ending drives that Notre Dame had this year where they get the ball to 20 with seven minutes left and you know, the other team doesn't touch it again or they touch it with 20 seconds left and there's nothing they can do. The game's over. Just having that physical identity is something I love. And, you know, hopefully it continues. We got a lot of new faces on the O-line, but um, I, I'd say – you know, defensively too, if we're able to stop the run, like that's going to just win us a lot of football games. May not win us the big ones, which is kind of getting into my low, which was the Alabama game. Just seeing the discrepancy in skill talent out there. Now, obviously, Devonte Smith might be the best wide receiver of the last twenty years in college football, but it's all the other dudes that make you so hard to guard. Where you know, if you try to d- double Devonte every single play, you're going to get burnt somewhere else. And seeing Notre Dame 
trot out there with, you know, two, like th- four tight ends on the field at once, basically, with Skronik, McKinley, Mayer, and Tremble, and then Kyron Williams. Like, you're, you're playing four tight ends. It's just 14 pers- personnel, just a little different. And hopefully that changes this year. I think we'll see a little more speed. But just seeing the gap there, I think I think you saw it a little bit at the corner position too. But to be fair, no one was able to guard those Alabama guys. All right. So let's get into Notre Dame roster a little bit. Let's start at the most important position, probably the most famous position in college football as a whole, which is the starting quarterback for the University of Notre Dame. We already touched on Jack Cohen a bit and our expectations for him. So why don't, why don't we talk a little more about, you know, the backups, Drew Pine, Tyler Buckner. I know there's also Brendan Clark and uh, Ron Palace Jr. back there, but, you know, they're not going to play. So, yeah. I, I think Drew Pine, what he is is just I, – I honestly think he's just the worst version of Ian Book. Game manager, I mean, there's some things different. He'll probably stay in the pocket a little longer, maybe make some more throws over the middle of the field, but he's not going to create plays with your legs, which is what makes Buckner so exciting. Yeah, I think that's generous. Uh, obviously, I'm not at practice. I'm not at practice, but uh, I I think Drew Pine was given every shot to win the starting job, and it just he just wasn't good enough to do it. Um, if this season goes awry, knock on wood, it won't. I would much rather rather us throw Buckner in there. And like again, at practice, it sounded like he was not ready by any means. He's just not ready. But I think he's going to get ready a lot faster with live game snaps, so I don't know. If if anything happens to Cone, if the season doesn't go as planned, I would like to see Tyler Buckner in there over True Pine. Yeah, I think the way I kind of look at it is, uh, I think Ian's right, he, uh, Pine, for for a while, I think the three of us were worried, um, I'm sure other people were, that I was hearing that from practice that, that Cone and Pine were splitting first team reps, and, and that, that scared me a lot, um, to be frank. But uh, I think going forward, I uh, the way that I, I would kind of see things out is, he had mentioned it. Uh, Buckner sounded like he had some issues early on, um, just kind of getting up to the speed of the game and, and maybe making some college-level throws. And I think that happens because he hasn't played football in two years. You know, state of California and play football for his senior for the senior for his senior season. So you know, I think that's just going to be kind of part of the growing pains. I'm of the opinion that Drew Pine should be your number two quarterback, but uh, Tyler Buckner should be uh should be taking the second team reps in practice i think you have i think that for god forbid jack cone were to get hurt in the next one two three weeks i think pine has to be the guy you get get going or, or get in the lineup but but as part of the ramp up process why don't we start getting buckner some some relatively live second second team reps here um so that way you know come next year come the future you know he it's not as long of a, there's not as big of a curve um, going forward. Um, that's kind of how I would like to see things approached. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm not the offensive coordinator and I'm not the head coach, so I'm sure they have, and I'm sure they have a really good plan going into it, but that's just kind of the way I'm seeing things. Yeah, I think you have to keep, now your focus on this season, obviously, first and foremost, but you have to at least have somewhat of an eye on Labor Day weekend 2022 in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Drew Pine's not winning you that game. Nope. It has to be Buckner. He has to be ready in some sense. He's a great athlete, but I digress. I, I I agree with you there. I th- I think Pine will step in as number two, but Buckner has to see more time than we've typically given to someone like Phil in the past. Yep. You know. All right. So let's let's move on to the running backs. This is a position that, quite frankly, I'm not worried about. 
I just finished re- listening to the Rasilla podcast today. I forget who he had on, but he said, you know, Notre Dame might have the best running back room in the country. I don't disagree. When was the last time you heard that about? Yeah, I don't, I don't know when the last time you heard that about a Notre Dame running back room was. Maybe ever. Thomas Jones? I don't know, but like, it like this is a loaded room, an absolutely loaded room, and I think Kyron Kyron Williams is one of the best prospects. Like, I think he is incredible, incredible athlete. Chris Tyree obviously is a jet, and he just switches it up. But then we got some dudes behind him that I would not want to meet in the hole. No, you got some heavy, you got some heavyweights in the back end. Uh, I, I really like. I would feel comfortable giving the rock to all five running backs in the room. I don't necessarily think that, that Logan Diggs and, and Audrick Estimate should be getting the ball uh, all the time. But from what I heard, Logan Diggs had a phenomenal camp. Uh, Audrick looks like he's carved out of a damn mountain. Um, and Sebo, you know, it's funny. Brian Kelly said this in his press conference. Like, Sebo is going to be probably your third down goal line back, right? And he, uh, but in other places, he'd be a, a reliable one or two, like very reliable one or two. He's just stuck behind two really, really good running backs. But what I think that Notre Dame does really well is, especially when they try to keep guys fresh, um, they will rotate through. I think you'll see a lot. I think you'll probably see as deep as four, uh, four running backs. I don't see Audric getting a whole lot of time just from like what I heard. But um, I think you'll get, you know, Whatever the lion's share will obviously go to to Kyron Williams, but you know I think you'll see a lot of Chris Tyree. I think you see a little bit of Sebo, and you'll see a little bit of Logan Dix as well. Yeah, and I, I, you mentioned this in our like preview when we were just chatting with each other is that you know twenty one personnel, which is two running backs, one tight end. The five skill guys on the field for Notre Dame are Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey slash Joe Wilkins, Michael Mayer, Chris Tyree, and Kyron Williams. Now that's a five that I'm confident is playoff level, like, good right there. Like You have a couple All-Americans in Kyron and Mayer. Kevin Austin might have the most potential on the team as a skill player. You know, and you also have the fastest guy in the team and another reliable receiver out there who can get open and burn people. Actually, probably two fastest no, guys Tyree, on the team. Tyree's probably team. faster than Lindsey because he was yeah. the fastest guy in that class. Yeah, yeah. So I've, you have the two fastest guys on the team, two All-Americans. Like, that's pretty damn good. I like, we're thinking about this a little bit. Like, Kyron's obviously incredible and has put up some great performances. I don't think he's a good Heisman bet only because the room is so deep. If if he didn't have as many good guys behind him, I would maybe throw some bones on it because he's incredible. But he's just not going to get the usage that he's going to need to be in the conversation. But he's, I'm so high on Kyron Williams. Yeah, and the last... The last point I want to make on Kyra Williams, too, is we're talking about 21 personnel, right, which is which is great. I hope we see a lot more 21 personnel because that's kind of where our where our skill set lies. You know, we'll get to it very shortly. Um, we'll get to it very shortly, but you lose, you know, we lose Brock and Tommy, which are really good running, uh, blocking, blocking tight ends. So let's go, let's spread it out a little bit more. But the best thing about Kyron Williams is not only is he a great running back, he proved that he can catch the ball out of the backfield, too, like, like pretty, you know, pretty uh, consistently. Uh, he's He is a threat. If, if they either motion out to the slot or on wheel routes or on screens, like he, he has a set of hands as well. Uh, so when, when you go to 21 personnel and you can maybe go out of 21 to, to 11 and, and, and make Kyron a stand-up receiver um, to show them a different look, that, that's also really, really helpful. And you talk about skill players, and you know, I mentioned this as my low of last year was kind of the lack of explosiveness we saw. You know, obviously, Kyron and Chris Tyree are explosive players, but... The receivers outside of you know a couple 
passes the Ben Scrag. Never really saw us stretch the field, you know, the Avery Davis play against Clemson, notwithstanding. But I think we will see a lot more there. I'm I was super excited about Kevin Austin last year. I know we kept talking like every week, like, okay, this is his breakout week, this is his breakout week. Hopefully we're not having that conversation in week four of this year. Hopefully he's finally healthy, ready to go. I think he's got all of his ducks in a row off the field. And also, you have a very experienced room, a bunch of fourth, fifth-year senior guys as well. Yeah, I think that uh, I think it's very nice for me. I've seen Notre Dame have success in the past when they've got old, when they've gotten old, and they stayed old in, in certain position groups. When when you have guys who are really experienced as, as seniors, because I think it's very difficult at Notre Dame to to be younger a younger guy um, and to handle being in South Bend, handling the workload, handling the social life. Like there's a lot coming at you at once, maybe a little bit more than, than in other places. So to have these guys mature as both athletes and, and, and as people at Notre Dame, uh, I think football comes a lot easier and a lot natural, a lot more natural to them. And I think it kind of helps them, helps them improve their game. And so that's why I kind of, I kind of like, I really like the, the receiving core that we have here. I think that, like I said, I think they've matured. I think they have, they have a lot of experience under the belt. Um, and we got some dudes on the outside for a change, which is nice. You know, no, no offense to Javon McKinley and Spencer Brown because they made some big catches. But like D said, they don't necessarily have the the north south speed uh, that that guys like Lindsey and, and Keys and Austin and Joe Wilkins have. So I, I'm de- definitely excited about about that group and and hopefully give Cone some some real targets to throw to. Cone's an accurate kid, so let, let's let's just get open for him. I think as excited as we are about this group, I guarantee you. Uh, Tommy Reese is, excuse me, Tom, is more excited about this group. Because, like, you had to scheme Javon McKinley and Ben Skronik open or just hope they'd win a jump ball. Like, he doesn't have to, he has some guys that can create separation on their own now. And it gives Jack Cohen more options. It gives him a lot more options in just in play design and play deployment. Um, a very different look than the wide receivers of the past. I think we, we definitely were excited about those guys last year because we knew we were going to run the ball and they were incredible blocking on the outside. Obviously, this group will not do that as well. But I think it'll just make our offense more dynamic and less predictable and, and maybe take the top off sometimes when we really need it to happen. I'm, I'm excited about this group of guys. I will say I've been burned in the past being excited about a group of wide receivers and it not happen. So I'm almost got to see it to believe it, especially with Braden Lindsay. Like He's been right there for so long. And there's just like something off that hasn't happened, whether it's his hamstring or mentals. But he's looked great in camp. So, Ian, it sounds it sounds like you're due, is what I'm hearing. I am. You're, you're due for I a receiver due. group to, to to pop off. I kind of am, but in like I'm due for a recruiting class to pop off. When I this brings me to Dion and, and Lorenzo, Dion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about those two reports from camp have been awesome. Lorenzo Styles guy. We took out of Ohio State's backyard. He's already on the two deep in the slot. Apparently, he's it's Lindsey, Tyree, you know, one and two on speed in whatever order. Then it's Styles three. Hopefully, he's a guy that can come in and uh, replace uh, Matt Salerno as a punt returner because I'm still not sure why we choose to throw only white walk-ons on there. Um, because he was just an electric returner in high school. I believe there are multiple games where he had two or more return touchdowns. So. I'm excited for him, and the thing is that you guys were saying, if we're able to take the top off defense, there were so many times last year when opposing teams could put eight in the box, even nine guys in the box, like within 10 yards of line of scrimmage, 
because we just didn't have the deep threats and, you know, guys they had to double necessarily because I think the guy you have to think of first and foremost in the passing game, the person who I think is going to lead them in receptions, moving on to tight end room, it's Michael Mayer, just like easily the next great Notre Dame player, you know, the guy with like Hall of Fame potential, whatever, don't want to get ahead of ourselves there, but the potential's there. And that's, you know, he's just one guy in a very deep tight end room. Yeah, I mean, I think Michael Mayer is far and away, not far and away, but last year you had Kyle Pitts, and like, not that he's Kyle Pitts per se, but I think he's the clear-cut best tight end in the country right now. Um, but even at his age, makes it more impressive. I don't know about you guys. I think not having the one-two, I don't think we have the one-two punch of the tight ends with Tommy and then Michael Mayer. I just think our looking at our two-day, like George Tackett and Kevin Bauman, don't provide the same coverage mismatch that those two did. Yeah, but I, I would respond to that as that we didn't necessarily exploit that as much as we should have last Mm-mm. year. Mm-mm. But, but I think, again, that's more so, like, I think that was a lack of options on the outside, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, it just didn't true. open up for him. But... Yeah. I'm uh, I, I'm pretty excited about the tight end room as, as a whole. Uh, obviously, like you guys both said, Michael Mayer is, is the best player. All right, we have Kyle Hamilton, too. But he's probably one of the best players on this team. He's the best tight end in the country. Uh, and he, he's a game-breaker. Uh, they were talking... You know, Brian Kelly's talking about it in his press conference. Who do you put on Michael Mayer to stop. Like in the scrimmage, th- that was really, really hard for them. But, you know, when they go when they go the ones on offense versus the ones on defense, the only reason that Notre Dame defense has any success against Michael Mayer is because you have the best safety in the country who can cover him. Not everybody has a Kyle Hamilton floating around there, um, you know, their locker room. So it, I think it will be a major matchup problem. And as far as the other two guys, Takis and, and Bauman, I think that – or Takis, I, I think that Takis could – has a potential to fill – a role that Brock Wright did really, really well. Um, Brock Brock Wright probably landed himself a, at least a, you know, a tryout with an NFL roster because he blocked so damn well um, when they were in when they were in thirteen or when they were in twelve. Um, and the same thing with Tommy Tremble. Like I, I, I don't think that I think the Bauman and, and Takis are both are both closer to, to what Brock Wright was than, than what Tommy Tremble was. Um, but the bottom line is both those guys. Um, both those guys blocked really, really well, and, and that's what made them so good. You know, Mayer was the pass catcher. Those two guys just uh, just really helped the run game a lot, and maybe that's all you really need um, from those guys. Uh, one other good thing I heard was that <clears throat> Bauman, Bauman had a really good camp. Um, he was – I think they just, you know, they just talked about him being pretty raw. Um, he just, you know, just like some little mental mental uh, mental mistakes and and, uh, and not really running the best routes, but I think that he's somebody who – Maybe next year or the year after, I look to him to be to to be a difference maker a little bit uh, in in the uh, in the passing game. I don't think this year is his year, but sometime in the near future. Yeah, he's always kind of lived in Mayor's shadow a bit with them being in the same class. All right, let's move on to the big guys. This was the strength of Notre Dame's team last year. Obviously, put them kind of on their backs for the playoff, along with the defense too. But you know, we lose a lot four starters, but it's. Hot. So people always like to make this comment about their names that they've lost four starters, and I don't really see it that way. Sure, Jarrett Patterson's the only one who started day one that's coming back. Zeke Carell starts against two teams that are in the top 15 in Carolina and maybe the best defensive front in college football in Alabama and definitely held his own there. Cade Madden, tons of experience. You know, he's been like a multi-year starter at Marshall. It's Marshall, but that's still snaps in college football. 
Then Josh Log, I believe he started eight-ish games for Notre Dame. So that's really four guys who are coming back as starters for Notre Dame. And then there's the big guy on the left side, Blake Fisher, who might be the best freshman offensive lineman in Notre Dame history. So I, I think there's a lot more reason for optimism with this group than I think the broader national media thinks. So I'll, I'll give way to Slev, but real quick, Josh Lug's got to show me something pretty quickly here. I'm uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Slev. I'm in the same boat. Uh, I really like what Notre Dame has in four of the five spots. Uh, I really, I really like Blake Fisher. I think he's phenomenal. He's extremely talented. Zeke Carell, like D said, held his own against some really good defensive lines uh, and was a really nice plug and play player, player for us. Um, Jared Patterson, uh, you know, was he his first? Was he second team All American uh, in a bunch of spots? Like I think Jared Patterson is is, is your guy. And I really like the idea that you put him at center. Um, he's kind of the brains of the operation. He kind of makes the left side and the right side connect, um, and he could definitely support. You know, I think the other reason they have him there is because he can kind of support both guards, right? Man, which way the play is running and what the blocking scheme is set up. He can support a younger Zeke Corral, and he can support a Kane Madden who hasn't been in Notre Dame that long. So I think that that's kind of a, I was very strategic by, by by the offensive staff, and I really I really like the play. I think Jared Patterson belongs at center. Uh, obviously, bringing Kane Madden, all American, uh, I think that helps. Like I said, he has like sixty something starts. So, uh, or sorry, he he has thirty something starts. I think so, so. That's definitely helpful. And I think the question mark Ian says is Josh Love on the right, on the right tackle side. You know, he's a question mark for us. Um, that's not to say that he won't do well, especially because he was he was a question mark last year as a younger kid. He had a full another off season to look at film, to, to get more athletic, to, to get be, just be, get better skills. Right. So you, you, I don't think that people should necessarily jump all over Josh Lug right away. But with that said, he definitely has to show something, especially at the tackle spot. We're going to see some pretty skilled, uh, some pretty skilled ends and some outside rushers that, that you're going to need to handle. Um, I think, and like D said, I think there is more experience than, than, than people give them credit for. And I think it'll just be a matter of getting these guys to jail. Um, and the more these guys practice together and the more they play together, the better they're going to get. I expect this, this offensive line to be way better in game 12 than they, than they look on Saturday, but I still expect them to have a really good day on Saturday. Um, and, and I'm really, I'm really excited about the group, uh, despite some of the pessimism around, around what the, what the experience looks like. I can't, I missed your optimism, Slav. I needed that actually. Personally, I needed that. We're back, baby. I'll just say on Josh Lugg, so apparently had a huge offseason, dropped like 25 pounds, much more mobile. Also, we're, we're saying he underperformed last year. We're sticking a guy who's like six foot seven and at center and guard in those games where he subbed in, and I think he struggled there just because he didn't bend well. He was a little out of shape. He's just like he's you know pretty damn big to be a center or guard, especially center at six seven. It doesn't really make sense. So I understand why he struggled a bit. I think in 2019 he actually did a fairly good job at right tackle when he subbed in there for the last few games of the year. But you know, hopefully the tra- body transformation pays off for him. And because, like you said, we're facing a lot of dudes on defense. But I think we do. We have. I think no names facing the best defensive line they'll face all year in practice. We haven't seen. We haven't seen what Toledo puts out there yet, though. Ah, true. True. So. Yeah, I think is Kurt Heinisch is going to play the most games of any player in Notre Dame history, I believe. Is he really? Because of the COVID year. I mean, he'll basically have played five full seasons. That's awesome. That's a guy you want. That's and a guy you want in the middle. two playoffs? 
Yeah, in two, two playoffs. playoffs. Kurt, Kurt Heinisch, dog. We got baby Kurt Heinisch, too. Yeah. I don't forget. I did see that. Yep. Pretty central cast. that? I think he's got his little brother. Oh, right? oh, his, his, his brother's brother. committed. Yeah, central. Yes, he is. The central Catholic to Notre Dame pipeline. I mean, Mike Elson's just an unreal job there. I think the mantra over the last few years is, which is why we've been so good at defense starting up front, is he gets old and stays old. You rarely see true freshmen making an impact, and that's probably a good thing on the D line. You know, you want your guys to be old, experienced. You want your ends to have a you know full array of pass moves, pass rush moves. When they're out there, you know, Myron, fifth-year senior, believe. The Ademolola twins, they're fourth or fifth-year seniors. And then a couple of young guys, too. But, I mean, these young guys are either sophomores or juniors at this point. We don't, we're not counting on any freshmen to make an impact. I do think we'll see a lot of depth at this position, though. I do think they'll rotate. Um, Kurt and Myron will be staples in there. Um, it was good to see Isaiah Foskey as the, the one on the two-deep because uh, I'd heard some things that it wasn't the best, you know, camp for him. Um, so I don't think he'll be a staple on the outside every single time. I do expect him to make some plays, but I think we'll see young guys. Riley Mills, you mentioned, um, we 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 are a Jordan Patella pod, yeah? Yes, we are. Yes. Yes, yes. we are. We, yeah. we enjoy violence and guys who <laughs> wreck havoc on kickoffs. That's, I'm hoping that's my to personal. see him. Um, I'm hoping to see him, and then – I don't know. I'm kind of excited. Maybe Aaronsberger could do some this year. That'd be nice. The German. The German. I wonder if will listen to I, this. I want to see his like sack celebration. If he just like walks back to the line. Yeah, because I can kind of see that. Um, yeah, I, I won't. I won't spend too much time on it. I think that you got some really, really good leadership up front. Um, outside of being really skilled guys uh, with Myron and, and Kurt Heinisch, like those are those are guys that. I would go to war with any day, um, and, and I'd want them lead me into battle. Um, so pretty pumped about that. Uh, Batella made the freaks list. Uh, not Sorry, not Batella. Um, uh, Foskey made the freaks list, uh, uh, the athletics freak, freaks list. So although he didn't have a good camp, I mean, the kid is physically gifted. So if we can kind of start putting things together there, I'd love to see what he can do, uh, get him in the backfield. And the one guy that I'm most excited about, and I know, D, you are too, uh, is Riley Mills. Uh, he's – a unit that guy's huge uh so i, I i'm kind of excited I, I hope that he gets a lot of reps and and he he kind of be a difference maker on this defense yeah i mean he's like jj watt size i mean i mean if you look at our defense as a whole the whole front seven is just so deep we're going to be rotating so many bodies yeah. through there throughout the game and linebacker probably deepest position on the team i think there's a few other places you could argue but you know, we more or less have six guys at the three positions mainly that are power five plus level starters and have started games at that level. I forgot, so. I forgot about Isaiah Pryor because yep. he's using his, yeah. his super mm-hmm. senior year. Um, yeah. He's like gotta be our age, right? Like he's, I, I believe so. he, I believe he is our age. Yeah. 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 This, is, this is a uh, sixth year, but I mean, just as a reminder to everybody out there, he came from Ohio state um, yeah. and came as a safety, but I think he's gotten the Bayless treatment. And we're gonna move him a little closer to the line. So yeah, I mean, we we if we're just talking about the the back line there, you got Shane Simon, Bo Bauer, Isaiah Pryor, who are all familiar names, and we've seen contribute, and Paul Moala. I will say this was like the saddest part of the last week. Ian and I were together when we learned the news. Pretty much that Maris Lufau, who had been killing it in camp, just absolutely destroying it. People were saying, you know, he's the next great Notre Dame linebacker. 
I mean, he's a flying Hawaiian. Once again, I know that nickname's corny. Alohi Gilman was our last flying Hawaiian like two years ago. But he would have been the next flying Hawaiian, like shades of pull Molly with the hair. Kind of sucks. Snapped, fib, snapped his fibula, got rolled up on practice, out for the year. But like we said, it's probably the deepest position on the team. It'll He's a guy where it would elevate our ceiling to have him. Our floor is still fine at linebacker. Yeah, I agree. I think losing Maris kind of sucks because by all accounts, obviously you know, none of the three of us got to go to practice, unfortunately. But from all accounts, Maris was absolutely tearing it up. Um, so, you know, speedy recovery to him, uh, you know, our best wishes to him. And I think he'll be, he'll certainly be different speaker in the future. But if you look what we got on the front line, uh, having Drew White as your mic is, is another guy much like, much like Kurt Heinish and Myron, who are just experienced dudes who, who I, you know, who I would like playing with and behind. Um, so I think that's really good. Uh, having JD Bertrand fill the, fill the role of Marist at the will, I think was something that caught a lot of us maybe by surprise or not something that we would have predicted um say in june uh, but evidently jd had a really good camp um shane simon not as much um so you know i, I guess we'll, you know we'll, we'll see what happens from what i heard today uh from actually from pete sampson is that by from from inside the program just jd bertram has bought Notre Dame as kind of like a film rat and, and kind of a gym rat the dude just loves football uh lives eats, eats and breeds it so uh, I think that's always a really good thing, and then I think at the rover position you're going to see you're going to see all three guys get a look. I think Jack Kaiser is going to be your going to be your guy to start, but I think you're going to see just about yeah you know, yeah you know, maybe he'll get maybe he'll get the most, but I think you'll see you know a bunch of Isaiah Pryor and a bunch of Paul Mala. Uh, I think that's a tough position to play. You got to be in a lot of places at once, uh, so to keep those guys fresh um, is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all three of those guys get get a, get a, get a crack at the rover spot. In terms of our defense, the front seven's not where we're going to be worried. Uh, it's the back end. It's a place Notre Dame definitely struggled to recruit. You know, we never really had any big name signings. I think the biggest, obviously, Kyle Hamilton. We know what we're getting with him. All-American, going to be first safety off the board. Probably best DB Notre Dame has had, shoot, like Todd Light. Like, when was the last time they had a guy who went off the board that high in the draft? It's just a consensus All-American. Pat Eilers? I don't know. <laughs> Pat Eilers, yes. Exactly who I was thinking. Uh, but around him, it's a bunch of guys who are kind of inexperienced. You know, Clarence Lewis has a year. Uh, Cam Hart just moved over. Houston Griffith has never really had the starting role. He's kind of always been third, second guy off the bench or even lower than that. Same with DJ Brown. Then Tariq Bracey, um, you know, hopefully he can turn it around. He kind of just, la- end of last year, almost got pulled off the field in big games because he would just kept getting burnt. So this is where I'm most worried, easily. Yeah, I think QC Griffith, he doesn't have an acting career ahead of him. We know that. So hopefully, uh, hopefully he can do something on the field. But he's another one that you've just been waiting, 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 waiting to do anything. And it just, it just hasn't clicked for him yet. Tariq, like... Yeah, he just doesn't physically look like he's he's the guy. So we need Cam Hart, I think, to be a lockdown guy. And this has always been, this has kind of been our concern the last couple of years. Um, we just don't have any lockdowns since Julian, I guess, probably J Love. Yeah, I'd say that this is a group that it, it, it's a it's an inter- interesting predicament we find ourselves in because we probably have the most proven player 
on the on the field in this in this position group, maybe in the country, in, in Kyle Hamilton, right? Like, what a known what a known quantity he is in the best way possible, while also still in, still having the rest of the group being being the group that, that has the most to prove, right? Like, um, I think you got some guys who can play out there, right? Like, I think the Cam Hart, I think we, from what I heard, he you know he takes big he took a big big leap big leap forward, um, and Clarence Lewis did the same. Uh, and then Houston Griffith kind of ha- had a much better camp um, than people expected even after he decided he wasn't going to go in the transfer portal. Um, but I think it's still a pretty unknown quantity and that these guys have a lot to prove. Let's let's hope that they're, they're a very pleasant surprise um, because them them, be, them being a pleasant surprise could, could really, really, really raise, uh, raise the floor on this team a little bit. So, uh, you know, let's hope, that, let's hope that's the case. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I'm a little hard on Tariq Bracey because I think last year, you know, he's they, like you said, the size thing with Tariq Bracey is that he's not necessarily big enough to be a corner on the edge in today's football game. Like, he's just straight up not. Everyone's 6'2", 40-inch vertical. He just can't really compete. I think he can succeed in the nickel where he's he plays a little more to his skill set. He's smaller. He's quicker. He's actually an okay tackler. I haven't really seen him just be a you know, horrible tackler. Uh, at least that I remember, but I, I think he can excel there, and I'm looking forward to it. And I really hope he succeeds. But like I said, you know, this is a position where I am worried. Yeah, when it's like Slev's not optimistic about it, that is a yeah. red flag to the listeners. That's yeah, not good. I would think. We'll see. All right, we'll see. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next third of the game. Uh, this is pretty much Notre Dame returns just about everyone. Here, I think so. You now John Doerr back for I believe it's his fifth year, maybe sixth. I, I think just fifth. Uh, yeah, John Doerr was nails for twenty nineteen and until Clemson twenty twenty. He was nails through Clemson, and after that, definitely fell off. Uh, Jay Bramblett, I believe, solid to above average, not like an unreal punter. What I'm really trying to see is just more explosive plays here. One thing we did awesome last year was getting after the punter, multiple blocked punts, Pitt, South Florida. South Florida, I remember we talked about it, the most hilarious punting experience that guy, of all time. That punter is my hero. He had a no I, like, I hope he has a desk job now. I'm rooting for that, yeah. that, that 29-year-old Aussie dude. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think more or less if we just see more consistency in the kicking game this year – I think we'll be just fine on special teams, if not pretty damn good, honestly. Yeah, I, I think I, I I kind of made a note in in our in our preview notes like uh, the one thing that's really really good here is that nobody knows our long snapper's name. Uh, I think probably people who pay very close attention to it know it's Michael Vincent and, and his name, aka Milk. But the fact that nobody knows his name is a really 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 good thing. Um, I think Bramlett Bramlett serviceable. Uh, you know, I think we did a really good job on punt. Coverage. Like I don't really think. I don't really remember us giving any up, giving any, giving up any massive plays, right? Um, same with kick coverage. I thought we did a good job there. Just stay consistent there. Um, I think the only thing that I'm really, really looking forward, looking for, is to see a curb call. Like I want, I need, I need something that that brings that has shades of Tom Zivikowski against USC. Like I need. We're gonna be playing some big games here, so let's get guys like Tyree and Styles the ball, let them cat let me let them catch a block and, and let's get them to that to the end zone. That those are those are game changing plays in big games. Um yeah, and we know we have a few of those in the schedule. Did you know that Chris Tyree's longest kickoff return last year was his very first one against Duke? That actually what that's not surprising actually now that I think about it. I didn't know that, but 
I've always kind of battled with this, though. Like, I, we've always asked for more from this, like, Brian Polian coach unit, but I can't really remember the last time this unit had a play that led to us losing, per se. Yeah, losing and, for sure. Uh, so, like, if we want a crib call, that means more returns, but more returns could lead to more turnovers. So, like, I I wouldn't mind, like, in a couple games, just, like, taking some risks there. Uh, but this unit has never really totally let us down, I don't think. So if we just get more consistency, I'm fine with that. Don't lose games. Like, just don't lose us games. That's a good point, too. I think maybe, yeah. Do we I think to to your point, Ian, we trust our we trust the other two facets of the ball to win us games. We don't need to steal a game uh, on a fake punt or or on a trick play on a punt return. Um, so maybe you're right. Maybe you know, curb call would be nice, but beggars can't be choosers here. If, if it's gonna if it's not gonna cost us a game and we're not gonna do anything stupid with the ball, um, I think that that's that's also a really good point. Uh, we trust our offense enough to go, to go put points on the board. We we trust our defense to hold these guys. So. It does get so annoying when we have like eight fair catches in a row. The fair catch is dropping nuts. It's just because the play, the kick returns and punt returns are so electric. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's talk actual football. We have a game in, what is it, Tuesday? So we are five days away from Notre Dame's first game against Florida State in Tallahassee, Dope Campbell Stadium. First time playing in front of a full crowd. Since, I guess, senior night? Night of 2019? Yeah. So that's been a long time. I think, you know, we can start. We'll talk about Florida State probably a little more extended. Then we'll go quick hitters down the rest of the schedule. But I I think the biggest thing is going to be surviving that initial rush of energy that Florida State's going to have. It's going to be loud. Chief Osceola is going to run on the field, throw the flaming spear, Place is going to be going nuts because they haven't seen football in so long. It's a bunch of rednecks in the South, you know. It's it's going to be probably pretty sweet to watch. If we can get over that initial wave of energy, I'm not worried because Notre Dame has better dudes at almost everywhere than Florida State does. I'm with you on that. Like, that's my biggest concern too. And like, as we get into like picks of the week and stuff, you'll notice that I am heavily going to lead towards the home teams just because. See, like any guy that's played college football still hasn't seen a full crowd in a year. So yeah. I, I just think there'll be a little bit of a shock to the system um, for both freshmen and guys that have been in, in college football for a while. If we can survive that, like Mike Norvell just hasn't gotten this team going yet. And I, I think he still has a shot to do it. They were so uninspiring last year and they don't seem like a cohesive unit just yet. That being said, you're always a little nervous playing a team like Florida State because you know that they do have athletes. Yeah, I think that um, I think you guys make a good point, but honestly, uh, I think you get you got, you got guys in leadership positions on that team that have seen crowds like this, right? Like like I mentioned before, you got guys like Drew White and and Myron and and Kurt on the defensive side, and then you got guys, um, you know, Jack. Jack Holmes played in some pretty big games before on, on offense, so you're not really think that you're not really going to see a spooked quarterback out there. I don't necessarily think Jared Parrish on the front has has played in some really loud and, and big and big environments. So, yes, I, I'm worried about it. It, it. It's something of note, but I think Notre Dame survives the first five minutes, and 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 really handles 
you know, knock on wood, hope, hopefully this case handles Florida State the rest, the rest of the way. I think it'll be interesting just from uh, from as a college football fan, uh, you know, not just the Notre Dame fan, to see how Norvell balances the quarterbacks here. Um, as we know that uh, they, you know, on their two deep, they listed an, uh, they listed an or, so it'll be uh, Mackenzie Milton or Jordan Travis. Um, they'll both see some time from what we understand. Uh, Jordan Travis likely to be the starter. Um, but, you know, it'll be, it'll be good to see Mackenzie Milton for the first time in quite a bit. I'm very interested to see how Norvell uh, kind of balances the balance of the playing time and, and maybe uses this as a as extended as extended camp here to see if he's got a definitive starter uh, in his in his quarterback room. Yeah, I, I think one thing that's interesting is people are saying you know Jordan Travis is this and that, and he actually caught he kind of balled out against Notre Dame yeah. relatively last year. Well. But that's because we weren't ready for him. We hadn't really seen him on film. I remember him coming out of nowhere. I don't think we were expecting him to start really. I don't think so either. Yeah, but now you know we have film on him against Notre Dame in Norvell's offense. We kind of know what we can give Mackenzie Milton. He's a more he's a little more unknown, but you know physically he's limited because he was a kind of a dual threat when he was that good at UCF on during their undefeated season. Which is funny because Scott Frost is his coach, and look how far he's fallen. Yeah, oh, the mighty have fallen in that one. Yeah, and uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> well, yeah, Ian, we're gonna have to come back. We're gonna, we're gonna have to come back to that because we have a new segment from Ian. But let's uh, yeah. let's keep rolling on the games. We'll come back to that one. I would be surprised if they don't throw out both quarterbacks. Like, because if you're Florida State, you're not. I don't think you're gonna beat Notre Dame with one of them. Like, I think you gotta do Show different both. things. Yep. Yeah, you gotta do different things and make it hard on Marcus Freeman. We'll have to go figure it out. But we talked about this a little bit. Like, I do not want to watch Mackenzie Milton play football. He's just scared. Fiz- like, he, he as a fan, he's just got this massive knee brace on, and I was like, like ah, I don't want him seeing Kurt Heinisch at all. <laughs> but uh, so I would prefer personally. I prefer to see Jordan Travis. Um, but I'm I don't know, I'm excited. I think it'll be so fun. Like I I just like what a good opener. Like yeah. as a as a Notre Dame fan, this is an awesome opener. Yeah. All to ourselves. All eyes in the country will be Sunday on Notre Dame. Much like that. Uh, much like that Louisville game. Yeah. Yep. And I think, you know, what this game will come down to is getting over that initial rush, not letting the underdog, you know, all their fans are so excited to see them play, you know, get that extra rush of energy behind them. Because if this game settles down, if it becomes a schematic chess match, not necessarily a chess match, but if it comes down to schematics and then players like dudes against dudes, Notre Dame will win this game by two touchdowns, if not more. Yeah, I agree so with that. I, I just... You know, Florida State doesn't – they don't have even last year when they had Marvin Wilson up the middle or Tamori and Terry on the outside. There's really no one on this roster that's just like a terrifying game-breaker type player that I'm scared of. No. Notre yeah, Dame no, has no plenty Samuel of them. Jr. Yeah. Um, one more note. They have that one guy from Georgia. I forget his name. D-Tack was like – was a five-star, but you're transferring if you're a five-star. You but if you, if you remember, he uh, – he, I think he also has some issues with Mark Novell. I think so too. I think you're right on that. I think the one one last thing I, I would say too is that you know, rightfully so, we're worried about the the, the jump here. But uh, Kelly, Kelly, and the, Kelly and Co have been uh, have been preparing these guys all week. Um, from what I heard in the press conference, yeah, the, for his his media his media conference on Monday, he talked about how they've been pumping in crowd noise all week, and then they, they've kind of showed a lot of the younger guys like the the, the videos of like of, of the chief coming out on the horse and whatnot, so they kind of know what to expect. Um, I'm not sure how much video, YouTube videos and that stuff and, and and that and things of the like actually prepare people. 
but I think people, I think a lot, all the players pretty much know what's coming. Um, and, and they'll trust their leadership to kind of leadership and older guys to, to get them through, through this early part of the game. And from there, it should be smooth sailing. I'd rather play at Doak Stadium at Florida State than be Sam Howell and headed into Virginia Tech. That's for sure. I would agree with that. On a, on a Thursday. Like, that's a scary game for them, I think. All right. We'll, let's do predictions for this. We'll give our picks at the end, as always. So let's move on. After that, first home game in Notre Dame Stadium, full crowd. Toledo's coming to town. Honestly, like like they're one of the better MAC teams, but I see them sticking around for a quarter or two. But this is a game where our talent level is so much higher. Should have a ton of energy. Stadium will be behind us for the first time in two years. Hard to see us losing, or even close in the end. Yeah, I got a I got a Rockets future to win the MAC. Um, so that's exciting. I think they're going to be a pretty good football team. Um, but like you said, uh, I don't really think they can they can hang with us. Um, I think they'll think they'll be a really fun team to watch on Tuesday Wednesday evenings. Um, but yeah, not we shouldn't be much of an issue. Um, also, hey, that's career fair career fair week, so we should have a bunch of alumni uh, back in back in South Bend for that game. I know I know Pops and, and Danny are going. I'm just excited. That's deep cut analytics. Hell yeah. That is the type of inside analytics that just other podcasts don't have. I think that's what sets us apart. I mean, I'm with you guys. I I think this is hopefully one where you, you hang around for the alma mater and nothing else. Maybe see the younger guys. But hopefully, yeah. we'll see. Next up, Purdue. Another one of these games. They're a little better than Toledo. I believe David Bell still there at receiver. He was probably the best receiver they faced through those first three games, but... You know, Purdue came in with a lot of hype last year, you know, when they had Rondale Moore, and everyone's like, oh, their offense is going to be good, but never really amounted to much. I think the most interesting part about this game will be how Drew Brees calls it in the booth. Yeah, I, I think I think you're very right on that. Um, the one th- the one point I will make is, um, I, you know, I don't, yes, I don't know a whole lot about Purdue, uh, but those who are part of the church of Tom Fernelli, like Ian and I are, know that Fernelli thinks this is by far the worst defense in the Big Ten, like, like big bad. Um yeah, so let's so let's let's share the rock. Um, let's maybe I I wouldn't hate to see Colsey and Styles, and I wouldn't hate to see Bomb and Takis, and let's get Audric and and Logan Diggs some touches. You know, like I think um, knock on wood. You know, we don't want to go in there and think it's going to be an easy win because I think I think that's bad juju. But from from all accounts, this uh, this is not a, good, not a good football team. But the Drew Brees the Drew Brees call will be very interesting. Dude. I think that's a very good point. I forgot about that actually. This is kind of like, this is, uh, who, who said Chip Patterson, this is like physics, not football. Like, they, yeah. are, they are not good, and this is like, if we're talking about our offensive line performing well and improving, I hope this is a game where they make a big jump, and like, Kyron and Chris are taking it to the house without being touched. Yeah, I think so too. I think week two and three are both big, big for that. So, once the Irish have three weeks kind of get our legs under us, which is important because you think about some of the schedules in the last few, four years, you know, you're going to Athens in week two. We don't have that this year. We actually have, you know, some time to build up a little bit. It's Wisconsin, Soldier Field, another top 10, top 15-ish teams, depending on, you know, what poll you look at. Uh, I say this game, what it comes down to is Notre Dame is better at being Wisconsin than Wisconsin is. Straight yeah, up. I, I, they don't I mean, have dudes in the backfield like Kyron. I think their line, I think it's a little more experienced, but I think we have a better D-line than they do. I think, you know, the lines may come out to be a wash. 
I just think it comes out to we just have slightly more dudes than they do. Yeah, I think I think our our receiving core is probably a little bit better than theirs than theirs is. Um, I think that I, I you know I don't the, the the whole idea of revenge games and it gets a little bit overplayed, but I do think that no matter what, like Jack Cohen is not thrilled that he had to leave Wisconsin because because he got injured and got replaced by Graham Mertz. I'm you know I'm not saying that you know he's he's very very angry and that he's gonna he's gonna come out pissed off, but like bottom line is he wants to prove himself. He wants to prove that he was a better quarterback than Graham Mertz and deserved deserved to still be in that role. So I would like to see a really really big day out of him, even if it's not necessarily through the air. You know, you know, I'm sure Wisconsin is a pretty decent secondary, but hey, let's, let's make it happen with your feet too. I think that's something that kind of gets overlooked about Jack is that he's got he's got good feet, he's got good legs. He doesn't move exactly like he had Buck, but he can he can move himself, uh, and he's, he is a threat to run. So uh, I think this, this is a really exciting game. I um you know we're out. We hate the 11 a.m. local kick, um, but other than that, yeah, it should be should be a fun Saturday. That's why I was I'm kind of going there as well. Um, the reason this game just gives me a little pause, like, yes, Wisconsin's a good team, and that'll be a great battle, but it's 11 a.m., it's not at Wisconsin, I mean, it's a neutral field, there will be pomp and circumstance around, like, that's kind of gives me pause, because I would almost feel more confident if it was in Madison, um, but I think this is one where BK just has to outcoach Paul Christ, and he's got to get his guys ready, um, and I'm, like, looking for us to just play up to our potential and not have a, a letdown here. Not that Wisconsin's a letdown game by any means, but... This also feels like an under game. We'll get to that when, when yeah, we come to it, but 100%. this feels like an under game. Yeah. So just quick, just really quickly on this, just because this is probably the game that will be talked about most on our schedule, maybe USC, maybe Carolina when we get there. But this game is one where... Let's think back to 2017 when the revival of Notre Dame football started. The whole theme of that is Brian Kelly doesn't lose to teams that are lower ranked than Notre Dame. Is this the best team that he's faced that will be lower ranked than Notre Dame, as in not a Clemson or Alabama? On a knee jerk reaction, yes. I think I'd, I'd like to. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, I don't think it's the it hardest game. I don't think it's the hardest game, but I. What would you say that was? Like my, maybe Virginia Tech when Dexter took it to the house. Was my, I think this game was Miami. I think this game's tougher than that. Was Miami ranked ahead of us? Yeah, we lost Florida. If you're counting 2017, they were. I mean, they were undefeated at the time, so that's. They were, I, I guess we count 2018 eight. on. 2018 yeah. on. Yeah, and we were four, I believe, at the time. But you know, that's kind of different. That was still 2018 on. Brian Kelly doesn't lose to these type of teams. Yeah. Or he hasn't. Literally hasn't. In yeah. general. I Michigan. I, I guess it would be Michigan. 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 In general, though, Michigan. like, and that's that's a tough segue to what I'm about to say, but, like, I just don't. <laughs> I just am not. Other than Ohio State, who I think is one of the best teams in the country, like, the Big Ten just doesn't, like, Scary. I'm not over, over, yeah, I'm not overall convinced. That being said, we got wobbed when we saw Michigan. Um, I think that was an anomaly more than. More than a, yeah. than a rule for us. I think that was a bad day with some bad weather and some bad decision making. Uh, that shouldn't happen again. I don't think. I do think this game though is super important in the way it will set the tone for the season. Yep. Because like it just the schedule gets hard after that. But if we win this, we're kind of rolling going back home for the, all the tough ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's very important in the way that it will set the tone of what this team could be. All right, before we move on, yeah. real quick, is this the toughest game on the schedule? I think so. I, I, I do. I think yes. Well, 
I I still think Sam Howell scares me a lot more than Grant Burns does. That's also good. I, I I think it's the toughest toughest game on the schedule. I don't necessarily think it's the one we'll lose. Because we're not going to lose, right? Nope, not that one, because I'll be there. All right, next up, the biggest game in one of these programs' history, Cincinnati, on October 2nd in South Bend, Marcus Freeman revenge game. I don't know. They'll, they're probably more mad at him than he is at them. He's probably not mad at them at all. I'm a huge Luke Fickle fan. They will be entirely fired up. I'm sure they'll bring a lot of fans, like probably surprise us there. It's short drive. It's literally the biggest game in their history. Um, but once again, Desmond Ritter's good at quarterback. I think he's gotten a little overhyped in the offseason watching him play. He wasn't that great. I just don't think they have enough weapons on offense. Their best weapon's Michael Young, who transferred out of Notre Dame. Yeah, I think I think Ritter, in a word, is solid. Um, yeah, maybe not. I, I agree. I don't think he deserves all the hype he gets. I think the one thing that scares me a little bit is – uh, the Cincinnati defense is skilled, um, and they have some dudes on the outside uh, who may really be able to shut down uh, Notre Dame on the perimeter. Uh, guys like Sauce Gardner uh, definitely scare me a little bit, but uh, I, th- I think that this is still a game that, that Notre Dame wins. Uh, I think ultimately Notre Dame is a better football team, um, and they have a better coaching staff on the whole. Um, so I, I still think this is a Notre Dame win, but uh, I certainly feel a bit uneasy about this one. I'm more excited than anything about this game. Um, I personally have a Cincinnati under. Um, there you go. This one's big for that. And this one is massive for that. Uh, I get like they are very good, but they did lose Marcus Freeman, and it's tough for a team like that in the group of five to maintain what they've maintained. I think it's just hard to take the pressure. Um, you know, obviously play the schedule that they're going to play like. It is hard for a team like that to be one of the best teams in the country year in, year out. That being said, Luke Fickle is one of the guys in the country that could turn them into that. Uh, but this will be, I think, an, an awesome environment in South Bend. Thanks, so too. And those, they get the role play. We do well in. They get the role play as Notre Dame for a season, as in you get to be the biggest game on everyone's schedule, except Notre Dame, because we're still, we're still Notre Dame. Um, so I, I, I'm excited about this one. I'm more excited than anything else. I think I'm excited. Yeah. So next up, Virginia Tech on the road, Blacksburg. We saw, I, I mean, we all saw it on TV, but atmosphere looks unreal. But I guess, I guess even since Fuente's taken over the program as a whole, just in terms of talent, coaching, everything, it's definitely taken a step down. This is another game where, hey, you can beat the opening jitters, you win the game. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion here that uh, Fuente's seat by this by this point in the season will will yep. be will be pretty damn hot. Uh, I don't think that they win this week against North Carolina. I think North Carolina kind of goes in and rolls. I don't think this Virginia Tech team is all that good. They lost Hendon Hooker, uh, who I thought was a pretty you know was a pretty good quarterback. Um, uh, you know this team does not scare me a whole hell of a lot. Like D said, it's a, it's a similar game to Florida State in that. Um, and that you just kind of get it, got to get over, enter Sandman and, and the whole, the whole Metallica bit to start the game. Uh, and you settle down and, and you play your game and, and you win, you win the X's and O's and with the Jimmy's and Joe's for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm with Slev. I don't know if we're Brian Kelly's coach against Justin Fuente at this point in the season. I think that the leash is pretty short there. 
and they've got they've kind of have like tough thing to maneuver before even getting to Notre Dame. Like they're not going to be they're not going to be able to focus on us, you know, the whole season. Uh, so yeah, I think if we can handle it, as you guys said, we're six and zero. And then a much-needed buy after that stretch. You know, I mean, the team's going to be fucking gas after that. And then, you know, the, traditionally the biggest game of the year, USC, who has not been USC. I believe it's been, shoot, since 2016, since uh, they got us. Uh, so I, I think we make it five years. I think this will be a lot like that game our senior year, 2019, where it's at 30-27. They're keeping it close just because, you know, they are still that talented. They'll get up. Slovis, you know, everyone was really hyping him up after freshman year, kind of fell off a bit, but he's still solid enough to make a lot of plays. It worries me. Like I said, a lot of these games worry me, and I, I literally can't pick one that we'll lose. It's that I just, you know, it's hard to say which game we lose. I'm with Like a, a Georgia or a Clemson. You know? I'm, with that. I'm with D on that as well. I think Slovis, I think Slovis is good enough to beat Notre Dame, uh, but a lot of people said that about Sam Darnold too, and I think we, you know, we kind of didn't really have an issue with Darnold. I think we picked him off four times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and a fumble, but what a bozo. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to bringing USC to town. I'll be in South Bend for that one. Um, that should be, that should be a really really fun night, as it always is. Um, I think Notre Dame wins this game, um, but it, it, like like D, just exactly the same thing D said. I think when we finally get to our our, our season record predictions, like I don't know which one, but all four of these games worry me a, a whole a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, well, I guess we'll see. As long as Clay Helton is in Southern California, they're not. It's like a hardball Ohio State thing. Like, as I long think that's as Clay Helton is there, they're not. I just don't think he's going to be able to get him to beat us. I think it's a really he good would, take. Like, right now, he is. They are our baby brother while he's there. And they are a sleeping giant where if you get the right person in there, they're not that anymore. But I'm shocked that he still has a job. I agree. I, I think they're like almost content with being a nine ten win team now, which is nuts for a team that has all the for a program that has all the potential in the world. Uh, in terms of another program that's on the rise, the Tar Heels, led by Sam Howell, come at the very end of this stretch. This is one I think will be. It's either this or the Wisconsin games, the toughest on the schedule. Ones at the front end of this stretch, ones at the back end. It's kind of the bookends right there. Two hardest games. Uh, Sam Howell, you know, we saw him last year. Clark Lee did a phenomenal job shutting him down. It's time to see if Sam Howell was kind of a product of all that skill talent around him. Because, I mean, he had dudes around him. They had Michael Carter, Javante Williams, De'Ami Brown. Uh, their best returning receiver, Bo Corrales, is actually hurt right now. So we'll see if he can make, you know, lemonade out of lemons right now. Because there's just, I don't think there's just a ton around him. The O-line was bad, and I think that's why Notre Dame has a significant advantage here. Yeah, I, uh, I I think Sam Howell is probably I think I think Notre Dame plays a few really really good quarterbacks this year. Um, I think Graham Mertz is good. I think Keon you know, Slovis is good. I think Desmond Ritter is good. I think Sam Howell is the best one that we see for the for the whole year. Um, and I think he's gonna. I I think especially at this point of the season, he'll know who who his dudes are. Right, like he'll know who he can go to on the outside. Whether they're the same talent as Deami Brown or not, it, it remains to be seen. But he'll have his guys who goes to, right, for sure. So I think that he will certainly be the one to test the Notre Dame secondary the most. 
Um, and what bodes well for the Notre Dame secondary is that you see them very late in the season. You see them October 30th. So, you know, you're eight, eight or nine games in at that point or eight games in, in at that point. Um, you know, let's, uh, I, I still pretty, still pretty confident Notre Dame wins that game. Um, but this will, I think this will be probably the biggest test for for the secondary for the whole year. So I like, as I said earlier, Sam House scares me more than Graham Mertz. So I kind of got to be on that. Like this will be a tough game. And like this, we talked about an under game. This one, I think they'll score, and I think we'll score. It will be an over game. Can we win a shootout is what concerns me more. So, like, last year we kind of handled their offense. Like, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it again because I think Sam Howell will be better. But uh, just a team that's able to put up points like that always concerns me because can we keep up? Yeah, that makes sense. And we'll, I think we'll kind of know what we have from our offense at that point in the year after getting through the four games before that. So after UNC, you know, like we said, the season, in my opinion, more or less comes out in that stretch of five games. Those are probably the five hardest games on their schedule. After that, it's home Navy at Virginia, home Georgia Tech, and then at Stanford. Let's just move through this. Do you guys see any roadblocks there, barring, you know, significant injuries to Notre Dame? I like, think you know, these are the two of the best. That... I think two of the best players they see all season will be Gibbs and Gibbs and Sims from from Georgia Tech, but the rest of their team stinks out loud. Um, so I'm not really worried about any of the four of those games. Uh, truth be told, I think um, what you get, however many losses you have uh, at at after the October 30th day, is how many losses you'll have this season, and however many wins you have, add four because I think Notre Dame will kind of go and kind of have a really good month of November here. Um, you know, just the farm. The farm does not scare me the way that it has in the past. Um, I also think David Shaw's. You know, his 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 time is ticking. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see if Notre Dame maybe puts a stake in that. So, like, if you were to tell me, without any like research, if we're playing at UVA home versus Georgia Tech at Stanford, I'm like, I like I'd be worried about that. But looking deeper, all of those teams are awful. Like I like Brock Mendenhall is a good coach. And I think they'll fight, but they're not very good. Georgia Tech is the worst they've been in a while. In Stanford, it has got to be one of the low points of that program. We can get into why they're at a low point when it comes down to you know the early signing day period and stuff and the fate the challenges that they're facing. But they're not good. Navy is not that good either, but they're Navy, and we've slipped up before. So I'm not not that we will, but that would be the one that I'd be most concerned about. Well, Tom, you brought up a good point kind of in this planning thing here. Marcus Freeman, it's not his first rodeo against a triple option. So Played it every year. He kind of knows what to do. Yep. So it's a good thing. All right. Record predictions. Who wants ten, to go first? Ten and two. And I couldn't tell you where the two are coming from. Um, Just I, that it's two. We have four hard games, and I don't think we lose all four, considering the three of them are home and one's in neutral in Chicago. But... Going 12-0 and is hard, and so yeah. I, I just think we play too many good teams to confidently say that we'll win all of them. I got 11-1. Um, I think that I think that Notre Dame can win every game on their schedule. I just think that you have a really, really tough stretch starting September 25th and through the month of October 
Uh, and it, it's hard for any team to win all, all five of those games. Uh, it's, it'd be hard for it'd be a hard stretch for Clemson. It'd be a hard stretch for Alabama. It'd be a hard stretch for Ohio State. I think those three teams probably win every game. Uh, but it, it'd be a hard stretch for Georgia. It'd be a hard stretch for Oklahoma. I think that Notre Dame probably slips up in one of those spots. I hope they don't. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think Leopard one is probably the number I land on. Um, I, yeah, I think I think if we were looking at season season win total overs was eight and a half. I think we'd all agree that we land on ten and two and eleven and eleven and one more than we land on anything else. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right with you, Tom. It's eleven and one, and I think you know you hate to say a lot rides on one player, but giving some of the quarterbacks we faced during that stretch, especially towards the back half and. Slovis with all the weapons that USC has and Howell. If number 14 uh, on the back end of Notre Dame's defense goes down, I, I I struggle to see us winning one of those games. And, you know, he has been banged up in the past. If he stays healthy, I think we they helps us a lot. I think we have a much higher chance to roll through it. Or if there's any other injuries in the secondaries, you know, that's going to be the hardest part is just, like, staying healthy through that stretch. If Notre Dame's able to be at 100% health or – damn close to it it's football no you're never going to be 100 percent healthy uh i think they are the most talented team in every single one of those games and like you guys have said it's hard to pick one to lose i don't think it's cincinnati i think that one's honestly the least likely given all the circumstances around it eh, besides virginia tech I, i'll count the four big ones and if i had to pick one i think i might say usc just because of the skill talent they have all right can i switch now should we go? Can I go eleven or one? Because I don't want to. Be, sure. Well, I, I had yeah, a mishap be last year. I had a mishap last year where I didn't take us against the spread. And <laughs> against won. USF. I think it was USF, and I yeah. don't want to be in that same boat this year. So eleven or one. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with you switching. No, no worries on that. I do have a I do have a quick question for you guys. Is is a twelve and zero Notre Dame team a playoff team? Yeah, twelve yes. no will get in the playoffs I, every time. There's yes. not going to be four other teams running the team. I will. Add. That's. I think that's such a media like, oh, they can't like, they haven't performed in big games in the playoffs. Like at twelve and zero Notre Dame team, and I think anybody that actually matters in college football will say that they are. I will say this right now though that an eleven and one team, no matter what, is not a playoff team this year, because I think if they the way I the way I see the season panning out. They lose one of those four games. So they lose Wisconsin, Cincinnati, uh, UNC, or USC. I think three of those teams are conference runner-ups. So they'll lose in their in their conference championship games, and you can't really say that that's a you know like that's that's not really going to get you in if you if you lose to to a conference runner-up, right? That's that's the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten runner-up. And then if you lose to Cincinnati. Cincinnati likely goes undefeated then at that point, and 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 they have a win over you. So I, I just think that no matter what, twelve and zero is a playoff team. Eleven and one, definitely not a playoff team, but a New Year's Six team, a New Year's Six team. So you know, hopeful, hopeful for that. Yep. All right, let's do some quick hitters just around the country. You know, we'll do our usual recap uh, at the start of the podcast when we get into the season, when there's more football around every week. All right, let's give each of us go four playoff teams and a Heisman winner. I'll start. Slav, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll start. I got uh, in, in this order. I think the order finish for the playoff is going to be Ohio State as the one, Georgia the two, Oklahoma the three, and Clemson the four. Uh, Georgia wins that first game against Clemson of the year uh, of the uh, you know this this game coming up this weekend, and I think that gives them 
the uh, that kind of gives me the advantage there. Uh, I think Ohio State's the best team in the country. I got a future out on them to win the whole the whole win the whole shebang, uh, and they got a pretty manageable slate in the in in the Big Ten. Uh, so those are my four playoff teams, and then I got the the Heisman winner to be J T Daniels. I think Georgia if Georgia beats Clemson, then they go on to have uh, you know they they go undefeated. Uh, I think J T J T Daniels is a big reason why. Um, and he gets a really good look at the Heisman. Um, that's more me taking a flyer on somebody. Uh, I don't, you know, trying to try to go a little outside the box, but I got JT Daniels for my Heisman winner. So I have Ohio State, Bama. This is my surprise. Oregon, I know Oregon and Ohio State play each other. I think Oregon loses to Ohio State, but is able to go 11-1 and and somehow sneak in as the fourth team. They'll be fourth. And then Clemson, look, I think there's a lot of things going on at Georgia right now. Uh of injuries, the program. Like, I just don't think Kirby's a great coach. I think Clemson clips them week one and then just kind of puts their hands in their pockets and strolls to the playoff. All right, so I'm a little all over the place here. Oh, you say, and Heisman pick, Donald. Heisman pick, Spencer Rattler, even though he'll have, I think they'll drop. It'll be like the like Kyler Murray season where, you know, Oklahoma will drop a game they shouldn't and he'll just put up stupid numbers. I, I think there's not really – I don't think Carolina will be good enough. There's really just no other quarterbacks around the country that are going to play in a high-paced offense like he will against, you know, the, I, I think the Big 12, like Texas is garbage. Iowa State might be the game where he slips up. But I think he's just going to put up stupid numbers like any other Oklahoma quarterback. Hopefully the voters have, like, Oklahoma quarterback fatigue at this point. But I think he'll have the best numbers in the country. So I'm going to go – I'm with Slev. I think Ohio State is the best team in the country. I think Ryan Day has done such an incredible job and taken them to an almost higher point than Urban had them regularly. Uh, I think they're incredible. So I think they'll take them at the one. Um, there are plenty of questions surrounding Bama because they just lost so much. But they're still Bama, and you still got Nick Saban at the helm. So I'm putting them at two. I think I don't think Oklahoma loses. I like. Hopefully Lincoln Riley's figured out not to lose. I mean, actually, I don't hope, but, like, you would think he would figure out how to not lose a dumb game. Um, and then I get a little interesting here because I think that Georgia might be Clemson week one, but I'm still going to go 12-1 uh, and one Clemson as the number four team. Because um, I don't know if Georgia can – hold like, because I think Georgia will lose to Bama at some point and then maybe have another loss in there. Um, and then there's always that little end-of-the-year bias. Like, if you lose in your conference championship game other than Notre Dame – stuff to get in. Um, so that's where I get interesting. Heisman, um, I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, which is a little interesting because we've never seen him play a snap. But uh, he has such great options to throw the ball to, and I think he will put up video game numbers and lead them to the number one spot in the country and take some hardware home with him. I think it could be interesting if one of Ohio State's receivers now that you know, Devontae Smith kind of opened the door if one of them takes it home. I think that's right. definitely out there. Devontae, right. Devontae did benefit last year, though, because Jalen Waddle got hurt. Like, if Jalen Waddle doesn't get hurt, he doesn't yeah. win Heisman. So, yeah. if Ohio State wide receiver doesn't get hurt, they're spreading it around too much, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Should we do picks? D, I think we have two segments left. Do we want to do, do, oh. we wanna do oh, yes. Ian's segment or the picks first? Let's do Ian's. We always end with picks. I'm sorry, you cut out. What do you want to do first? Yeah. Oh, let's let us let us do the 
The new one. All the right, new one. All right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited to introduce this segment. Um, one of the we'll probably do this at the beginning. We're doing around the country um, of of most pods, but one of the craziest sports stories I have heard in a while is this story of Bishop Sycamore and their their game on ESPN last Sunday. Turns out this school isn't a registered high school with the athletic association. Most of their players were high school graduates and maybe JUCO dropouts. They lied about how many Division I prospects they have, with the real number being zero. And their coach, who had a warrant out for his arrest for fraud, has now been fired. They are just not a real team. So the new segment will be the Bishop Sycamore Fraud of the Week Award. And the first annual weekly Fraud of the Week Award goes to I'll say it at once. One, two, three. Scott Frost. Scott Frost. Scott Frost. Yeah. He is. That was abysmal. Yeah, that was that was not a good showing. I know we were all pretty happy. I think we were all we were all on Illinois, but that was that was not a pretty showing. I think his his seat just got scorching hot. Um, I do think that uh, he probably survives through through week four. I think he probably makes the month of September because. They play Oklahoma in week four, um, so it'd be really unfair to throw a new coach in there for for the game in, in Norman. But man, that is that is no bueno. Like he he was he had a rough weekend, and, and the whole Nebraska team really did. They, he got out coached, and, and they didn't they didn't look awful on special teams. They they took a boatload of penalties. Like that's coaching stuff. Like that that's bad. Yeah, and then followed it up with, oh, we were pretty screwed. Our game plan was out the window as soon as they lined up. Like. How to expose yourself as a fraud one on one is to tell the media, yeah, no, we were we were caught off guard with half the stuff they did, even yep. after a uh, off season to get ready. I guess Bielema was a new coach, but you do not ever let that out of your mouth. If you're a player, you're like, well, what the hell are we doing here? Why yeah. am I not? Why am I not coaching? Yeah, exactly. He's stealing from at this. <coughs> yeah. Stealing from him at this point. Yeah, and and his so buy excited. His buyouts freaking huge like that is massive they gotta put 20 million dollars together to get rid of him i'm sure they that's will, a lot but, of corn yeah you gotta move a lot of corn to get rid of him yep but i am i'm pretty excited about the bishop sycamore fraud of the week or um sometimes sometimes it'll be regarding the notre dame game but i think we open it up to the national landscape yeah i'm pretty oh, yeah. i'm pretty i'm pretty worried about scott frost not giving this thing up yeah, he might be <laughs> on the for a couple weeks. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap up. We'll move to picks uh, real quickly here. Um, I, as we, we, you know, three of us kind of discussed this week, we have an unbelievable slate of games. Uh, in a normal week, you know, there's probably six or seven games that we cut um, that we're not going to pick this week um, that we would pick that we would pick in a normal week. Um, so it's exciting. It all gets started on Thursday. Uh, Thursday this week, uh, a lot of football Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Again, we're the only game on Sunday, and then Ole Miss and Louisville on Monday. Um, so lots of good football to watch. I think we'll have a lot to talk about when we reconvene next week. But let's let's look at the five games we're going to pick. Uh, so we got number nine, Notre Dame, traveling to Tallahassee uh, to play Florida State on Sunday evening at, at 7.30. That game will be on ABC. Um, what uh, Florida State is a home dog. Uh, Lane uh, seven and a half, or sorry, given seven and a half. I'm sorry, Lane seven and a half to Notre Dame. Uh, who do you guys? Who do you guys like? I like the Irish to start. Uh, I'll say that right away. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mentioned this earlier. We are two touchdowns, if not more, better than this team, even in Doe Campbell. 
I, I, I think the leadership on this team, I think Kelly has these guys ready. He's not going to be rattled by a loud stadium. Quite honestly, I think their quarterback situation, I don't know if either of them got enough reps to play against a front seven plus Kyle Hamilton that Notre Dame has. It's just a matter of, you know, can our offense score enough to cover, which I think they will. Wouldn't be surprised at all to see a defensive touchdown in this game. Uh, overall, I, I, if I had to give a score, say Notre Dame 34, Florida State 17. I, I, I think, and that's probably going to be pretty representative of the game. It'll be close, but not that close. So I, I like that score prediction, and I'm going to go with 34-17. That being said, when it comes with making this pick, I would. I don't know if I'd take 7.5. I'd almost look for an alternate line because I think if we cover – we cover pretty big. Um, so I'd look for like a 15 and a half with a good amount of juice on that to like, cause if we start rolling, I think we start rolling. Um, so I'd go 34, 17 as well. So I don't like seven and a half is kind of a weird number where I don't know if I want to take it, but I would maybe look for a bigger number cause I'm an oddball. I, I think that's a really good idea. And, and, I, and I really agree with you. Uh, my final score is going to be 42, 17. I think Notre Dame really, really gets a roll. Um, I think the alternate line in this one it would be it would be a, a fairly good play. I'd probably stay away from the first half uh, in the first quarter here, um, but this may also this if this game gets tight early for whatever reason if, if Florida State answers uh, and, and Notre Dame's you know we're looking at seven seven uh, could be a really really good time to get all over the Irish live. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. All right, the next game we're looking at is uh, number nineteen Penn State. Uh, travels to Madison to play number 12, Wisconsin. I believe that's a noon kick on uh, on Fox on Saturday. Um, Wisconsin is four-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Who do you guys like? I mean, he let me down a ton last year, Sean Clifford. <laughs> um, I, I think he'll continue to do so. I just don't think he's that good. I think... I think Notre Dame, honestly, we've been recruiting against Penn State a lot. Um, this is a game I'd really like to see them lose, and honestly, for Wisconsin to win. That being said, I, I think I would take Wisconsin to about six. I'll go with Wisconsin. Yeah, I think Penn State will be a lot better than the, the shit show they were last year, but they, uh, Sean Clifford is still a quarterback. I think he might be the most – him or Bo Nix might be the most disliked quarterback by football analysts and uh we are football analysts and i also dislike him so i'm going to take wisconsin minus four and a half a win that would help the irish down the road yep i'm agree with you guys sean clifford is is a problem uh for penn state uh i think he's he's gonna he's gonna limit i think they're a very good football team i don't think last year is very indicative of, of what that football team actually was but i do think that Sean Clifford lowers their ceiling dramatically, um, and I think that'll show itself here in, in Madison week one uh, on, on Saturday. Um, we're going to stay in the Big Ten. We're going to Indiana and Iowa. That's number 17, Indiana, traveling to uh, number 18, Iowa. Um, I believe that game is – let me look at it now. That game's going to be on the Big Ten Network uh, at um, – sorry. I have the, I have the – uh, the TV graphic in front of me. That's always fun. That's always fun to look at. Oh, uh, that game's going to be at three three thirty on the Big Ten Network. Um, so, who do you guys like in that one? I'm sorry, I was I was favored by three and a half at home. Who do you guys like? I like. 
I don't think Indiana is sick of Tom Allen yet. I think he's still got a little magic magic left there. Um, I like Indiana Moneyline. So, in turn, also Indiana cover three and a half. There you go, Ian. I, I honestly think Tom Allen's a bit of... I thought Indiana just as a whole was just like dream season last year. It didn't even end up with like anything too unreal. It's like they kind of played out of their ass, in my opinion. You know, Phoenix is good. Freifogel's good. Freifogel is a beast. He's very good. But yeah, it's going to be hard for me to pick against the Hawkeyes at home. I know three's a lot for these Big Ten games, but I, I, I think they can get on the other side of that number. I'll go with Iowa. I'm in agreement with D. I'm taking, I'm taking Iowa here at home. Uh, I think that I really like Tom Allen a lot, um, but I think that some of that magic may have been attributed to a COVID season um, where things are pretty irregular. Um, I, Ian, I like, I like you being the contrarian here. Um, somebody's got to do it. And I think it's a really good spot to do it in, but I, I but like, I agree with D. I, I think Iowa can cover this three and a half number um, at, at home and kind of get rolling with the big 10 West. I think it'll be, a rock fight in the Big Ten West, as it always is. Um, but, uh, you know, Iowa should be able to hang with Wisconsin for quite some time in the standings here, and I think this is a good first step. To help you guys out as well, too, like Indiana was so – I think they were crazy high in the turnover margin as well, which doesn't always carry over. Right. It's not right. – that doesn't mean – it's a little bit of a luck margin. So, um, top still go with them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next, uh, next up, we got number twenty-three, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, going to Austin to play number twenty-one, Texas. That game is a four-thirty kick on Fox. Uh, Texas is lay- is uh, eight eight-point favorites at home. Uh, what do you who do you guys like in this game? I'll take the Cajuns. I, I just Texas just doesn't have it anymore. I think you know they're. First new quarterback, I forget his name. I was listening to Cover Three today. They were talking about him, like somewhat high on him, but I know it's not. I don't think. I don't. I don't think it's Casey Thompson. It's the other kid. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, having that uncertainty going into Week One, playing a team that has a lot to prove. I, I think the Cajuns will actually lead a lot of this game. I think Texas will eventually just out athlete them by the end. But I, I think this game ends up at a touchdown, so they get there inside. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i with D on this. I think the lack of naming a starter is more so a lack of confidence in one of them. Um, we saw Casey Thompson in the bowl game. He looked pretty good, actually, in the bowl game. But uh, I don't know. I, I, it takes a little while for Stark to, to get him going from last year. They were just not that good last year. Uh, and I know for a fact that like this game isn't really selling all that well in Austin. I don't know if this fan base is all too riled up just yet, and I think the Cajuns to take advantage of it. And I think this is another money line sprinkle. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm with you guys. Uh, I got. I got the Raging Cajuns. This one is, is, as well. Uh, I think this has a lot more to do with. I don't think Texas is as good as people think they are. Um, then it has to maybe do with the fact that I think you know ULL will have a, like an unbelievable season. I think they're a pretty good group of five team. I don't think they're nearly the best one. I think just it has a lot to do with my pretty pretty significant lack of confidence uh, in, in Texas at this point. I think one thing to watch here, um, obviously there was a hurricane uh, this past weekend, um, and you know to kind of ravage through Louisiana and, and Mississippi. So I'm pretty sure that Louisiana may not be practicing at their facilities this week. Um, I think they may have already shipped that to Texas. Um, so you know that's. 
that's not a that 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 won't not impact the game, but I still think that the that that the Raging Cajuns kind of take care of business here. Uh, but also something something to kind of watch, keep an eye on, see where that line moves uh, this week due to, because of the extra travel that that, that that these guys will have to do. All right, uh, and the grand finale here, the probably the biggest one of the weekend. Um, objectively, as just a college football fan, it's it, it'll be a really really exciting game. Um, this game is Georgia playing at number five, Georgia will play against Clemson. Uh, this is a neutral site game being held in Charlotte. Uh, and the game will be seven 30 on ABC. Uh, Clemson is a three point favorite, uh, at this point. Who, uh, who do you guys like in this one? You got the dogs, you got, you got the Tigers. I think what this comes down to is a program game. And, you know, these are two of the consensus top five programs in college football right now. But there is a stark difference between what Clemson has done and what Georgia has done. Clemson has gotten over the hump. They do it year in, year out. I guess going back to Pitt 2018, they really haven't lost one of those games they shouldn't have, like Georgia South to South Carolina. And then Georgia's lost to the Alabamas and whatever. But Georgia hasn't beaten an Alabama or Ohio State. They beat Oklahoma. But Clemson has been able to get over the hump. I think their program's just in a much better spot. DJ, as we saw, is a baller. You know, it's a neutral site game, correct? Yeah, it's in Atlanta. It's in Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte, Charlotte. Charlotte. Uh, so probably even better for Clemson. Um, I just think they get it done, get it done by a touchdown, maybe even more. I think the Georgia program, first of all, they like don't really have any stud receivers right now. So for JT Daniels to throw to, Clemson has the best D-line in the country. All of those dudes are back. They will be a lot better. I just think they can get it done by – a touchdown, maybe even more. I agree. Clemson is the better team. Um, JT Daniels is a great quarterback. He doesn't have that many people to throw to right now, proven people to throw to. Um, but what this comes down to me is I think I hate Dabo more than I hate Kirby. It's tough, but I think I hate Dabo more. Also, I just bought a rowback sweatshirt, and JT Daniels was in an ad wearing the same one. Um, so Oof. I got to roll with him. Um, so I'm going to go with Georgia. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I would ride with JT Daniels as well. And I'm going to ride with JT Daniels. Uh, D, I, D, I think the points that D made are, are, are the right points. And I think that he probably, I, I honestly, I probably think he's on the right side of this game. Uh, but uh, I have a pretty, like Ian, pretty big distaste for, for Davos Sweeney. And I'm drinking the Kirby Smart Kool-Aid. Um, if, you know, we don't like the SEC, you know, as Notre Dame fans, but if I had to pick an SEC team I like the most, probably Georgia. I, you know, we had a blast when we were in Athens, and uh, it's a really fun environment. Uh, to me, they're uh, a relatively easy team to root for when you look when you compare them to Alabama, Auburn, and Texas A&M. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with the dogs. Um, dogs, you know, is three point, three point, three point underdogs here. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Georgia. I think the fact that this is a neutral site game helps. And while it should be Clemson dominant in Charlotte, I think – the Georgia fans travel really well, uh, and I think you'd see probably closer to a 50-50 split than maybe maybe people expect in the stadium. So, yeah, it should be a really fun one, though. I think I definitely have that circled on Saturday night. We'd love to get all three hours of that game in. All right, fellas. Who's, who's got a lock for me? A lock. Ooh, Ian's got one. I do have a lock. Simon knows what it is, I love, I love Ian's lock. I am taking – we talked about this earlier – it's kind of shocking how bad Stanford has gotten in recent times. Uh, they even had, like, Davis Love was a second-round quarterback, and they were still absolutely irrelevant. And on the other hand, Kansas State has been very bad in the last couple of years, but they're kind of on the up-and-up. 
And we have Stanford playing at Kansas State, 11 a.m. Central Time. You could do the math. That is 9 a.m. Pacific Time. I think Stanford struggles. I think Kansas State covers three and a half. I think I got two and a half in. I will take that number as well. Let's go. I had oh, two. It, I got. I got. I got two and a half earlier today. I'm with you. On that. Yeah, it was two and a half. Yep. All right, D. Anybody you like? Yeah. So I was just scrolling through the slate. You know, the team that really surprised me last year, the Arkansas Razorbacks. All right. They were kind of sticking with a lot of these teams in the SEC. I know they hung with Georgia for a bit. I think they're standing on the up. What's his first name? Sam. His last name slipped in my mind. O line. Sam Pittman, O line coach from Georgia. They're only favored by nineteen and a half against Rice coming to town. All I know is that Rice is just a garbage program. I don't know. I just have a gut feeling that they take that game by thirty plus. Uh, what's the line? The what, what's the line again, D? I'm seeing it at nineteen and a half. Excellent. I think that's a good one as well. Um, all right, so my lock of the week will be uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, like we kind of discussed earlier, I think they're the best team in the country, and it's not really all that close. Um, they're going to Minnesota on Friday night, I believe, um, which makes things a little, life a little bit a little bit more difficult. But man, Ryan Day's got a machine rolling in Columbus. Um, I don't think I don't think this one will be relatively close. Uh, you know, I think PJ Fleck does better against the rest of the Big Ten, but but not in this one. I think Ohio State's going to roll. I'm also looking at the first half and the first quarter here uh, when it becomes available. Um, but I'll lock up Ohio State minus 13.5 at Minnesota on, on, on Friday evening. I, I will be also look for a bunch of different ways to play that with you, Slev. I think that's a great pick. And just as a little look ahead, I think P.J. Fleck might be on Bishop Sycamore for our alert. <laughs> he, might, he just might be. All right, fellas. That was, those, are, those are the picks this week. Yeah. Feels great to be back. I'm trying to remember who won last year. I think you might have. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think you knew the answer to that one. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all if you've made it to this part. Once again, if you make it to the picks, you're one of our most faithful fans, and we appreciate you. We're looking forward to another great season. So thank you. We'll be here every week. All right. See you guys. See you guys. All right. All right.